You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, with service members from across the military, sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome to the Hazard Ground Podcast. Thank you guys always for being part of the show and listening. Make sure you guys go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Only takes a few seconds, more subscribers and reviews that we get, the more visibility the show gets, that helps us grow and helps us continue to bring you guys great guests, incredible stories from all over the globe. Again, these reviews, they don't got to be lengthy. They can be as short as you want. Just give us a rating. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, that feedback. We really take it into consideration uh, when we look at getting guests. And, you know, the Hazard Ground Podcast is this, it's community and it's growing. Uh, we want to get as many listeners and supporters out there. You guys are a tremendous part of it. And we want you to be involved in on everything that we're doing. And eventually, that's where we want to go with the podcast is take it to a, a in-studio place where we can get rid of call-in format. And you guys can be part of the show and interact with the guests themselves. So uh, we can't do that without your support. So, again, please subscribe, rate, and review Follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on all of them. And all of this goes towards making the show better for you, for our guests, and everyone involved. Once again, we go outside the bounds of our normal guests who are military members, soldiers, airmen, Marines, what have you. And we take a different point of view. And this week's guest is the vice president and CFO of Warriors, Inc. That is the entertainment industry's premier military advising company. She's also an author. Her latest book is out, Through My Daughter's Eyes, which details the struggles of a military family and growing up in the modern military family. And she also has a PhD in something that I don't know, but it relates to military history. She'll tell you more about it. And lastly, her husband is a former Hazard Ground guest, and you know him well from his time in Hollywood, Dale Dye. And it is Dr. Julia Dye joining us on the Hazard Ground podcast. Julia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right. Look, a a lengthy list of things that you're into, but let's start with Warriors Inc. because um, that company really kind of brings us to where we are as far as this podcast is concerned, because without the movies that we see and the stories that are told, a lot of American people don't know about these military stories and your company and you specifically help craft and tell these stories the right way. That's our whole point. We have an absolute agenda here at Warriors, Inc., and it's um, it's overt. Our mission as a company is to affect civilians' opinions about professional men and women in the military, to educate them, to show them stories. And I mean, my husband is my hero. I can't say enough wonderful things about him. But uh, what used to, how returning soldiers were treated before he started Warriors Inc. and how they're treated now is vastly different. There's people protesting wars, and yet they say, "I support the troops." He helped to do that by telling those stories, by giving faces to those men and women, and that's important. That's vital. We have such a problem in this country having moved from World War II with the citizen soldier to having almost a military caste that goes out and fights wars for us. The the people aren't connected to what's happening. We're sending people off to do that on our behalf. So it's vital that people know what they're voting for. They know what they're choosing. And you can do that best through storytelling. It's interesting you bring that up in the manner that you do because the disconnect, the civil-military divide, if you will, since 9-11 has really tried to be closed, right? And most recently in the last decade plus, I mean, look everywhere you go, right? There's Military Appreciation Night. I mean, every sporting event is something pro-military. The entire month of November in the NFL, there are huge flags and it's salute to service and all this stuff. So I think they tried to close that divide uh, between civilians and military. 
but still, I, I don't I don't know that they really fully grasp the concept of service and what we're all about and, and what we need to do in order to protect the country. Correct. And I think that's why, you know, our job may never be done. I look, every, Hollywood loves war movies. Uh, everybody loves a war story. And why is that? That's because in war, it's a crucible where everything is intense. You have incredible love. You have incredible hatred. You have violence. You have heroism. You have all of this stuff pushed into this nice compressed package, which is great when you have, you have always going to be military movies. But let's do them right. Let's tell the real stories. It's not about glorifying it. We want to show them the good, the bad, and the ugly, but tell them the truth. You know, you started with Starship Troopers, and then some of your other projects include Rough Riders, Wag the Dog, and, and The Pacific for HBO. Um, and, and so mm-hmm. you've even actually worked on video games as well, Medal of Honor series for Electronic Arts. When you are trying to communicate the realism and the authenticity of what combat is about, What's the most important thing that you lead with? The most important thing is to lead with the emotional truth. It's not always possible to have every fact, every stitch done perfectly because you're dealing with a medium that doesn't always allow that. Um, we have what we call stitch Nazis. I'm the one who gets all the emails when one thing is wrong in Band of Brothers on frame 37 and episode 6. The thread on the sleeve is the wrong color of ecru for the 1940s. Uh, so I deal right. with that a lot. Sometimes it's just not possible. We do what we can, uh, the best. But where we would fail is if you don't feel what it felt like to be there. We're not making documentaries. We're telling stories. So it's imp- you've got to feel the heart. You've got to grab that soldier's heart that's been true throughout history and understand what they're sacrificing and why they're making those decisions. When you look at some of the more successful war movies out there, whether you guys were a part of it or not, what comes to the forefront? Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, it, it, the story has to be compelling. You have to be invested in the people involved, and it has to matter to you. Uh, or it's it's something that you'll watch, and it might even be entertaining, but you're going to forget. So, like, like you know, we exa- wanna, specific we examples, though. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I think I would think that we've that Warriors was involved in that I'm most proud of is Band of Brothers. Right. It's such an impeccable ten hours of storytelling um, that it's it's amazing that it all came together and the people who worked on it just. The commitment to doing it right was out of control. Uh, but you got into the unit. You got to know everybody. You got to understand the choices that they had to make and why. Um, now you could compare it to something like, not to pick on someone, but oh, let's say Pearl Harbor. Uh, it didn't make any sense. It wasn't historically accurate. And the things that happened, you weren't – it was uh, – wait a minute. This guy's just going to take his date on a flight over Hawaii? It doesn't even make sense. You're not yeah. in the story because the logic isn't there. You're not invested in the characters and who survives and who doesn't. Are we better at making movies about the Iraq and Afghanistan wars than we were about previous wars? Um, not yet. And here's why. Uh, the best, almost all movies are not about the war they're portraying. They're about the war before or the war after. Right? right, MASH was not about Korea. It was about Vietnam. 
they set it in Korea. I mean, the, the television show MASH lasted longer than the Korean War lasted. Um, and the topics they were talking about and the inferences that they were trying to make was to talk about what was happening in Vietnam. That's very typical. Uh, and the reason is the war you're in is too close to you. We don't know those stories yet because we haven't, they haven't fulfilled, they haven't grown and branched out. So we're starting to get better because there's, it's, this war's been going on for a very long time, and yeah. there's some space. Very, very difficult to write about the war you're in. The, right. the, war, the war that I'd love to see made right now um, is a script about what happened in Beirut. Oh, really? Because that's the start of a lot of... It's the start of a lot of the things that happen that are happening right now in the Middle East, and Americans do not understand what happened at the embassy bombing and everything that happened uh, in Beirut that lit the powder keg in the Middle East. And we could say a lot about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan by doing a movie about Beirut, and it's far enough removed that you can say it now and people can see it with fresh eyes. How much does, when you talk about the proximity of the war to the movie that they're making, uh, I mean, I guess what is an appropriate level of time? Like, have you figured that out yet, or does it just depend on a case-by-case basis? I think it depends on the story, Uh, the the, the breadth of the story. If you're trying to tell some story that's a sweeping tale um, that's going to take more time, because you don't know all the ramifications of the things that happened. If it's a smaller story... Uh, there's probably less distance, but you need to make sure that the the emotional distance is there so that can be understood. One of my favorite, favorite films is uh, The Best Years of Our Lives. Okay. Um, uh, That had a huge impact on me, partly because my dad was a pilot in World War II, and watching them return and what happens as they try to cope with the war being over and returning to civilian life... I mean, that, it was made in 1946. It had no business being made then. <laughs> sure, yeah, it makes sense. Right? right? I mean, and it wasn't a, yay, we won the war movie. Wow. Um, and to win the Academy Awards, it did. It's the only, the, one of the actors won two Academy Awards for the same role. He's the only one that's ever happened to. Uh, so, and, and he was the, this guy whose hands had been uh, burned off in a fire, and he had hooks. And they uh, hired the real guy, the veteran, to play the part, which was amazing. And he was incredible. Uh, that that kind of um, leads into my... It's a really impactful film. Sure. That, that, that's the kind of a small story that can be done sooner. That kind of leads into my next question as far as, you know, when you use the real soldier. Do you find in using real soldiers, because that's what you guys do, you kind of train sometimes real soldiers to... To play these roles, I mean, is it easier to teach real soldiers to act, or is it easier to teach actors to be real soldiers? Um, Well, again, boy, that's on a big case by case basis. We love to hire veterans for all roles, not just acting. Um, They they're going to do they're going to understand what's going on better. More shorthand, easier to get across. They have a commitment to work ethic, which is wonderful. Uh, the problem is, is that when you hire veterans, it's very, very rare when you are hiring them for the same role that they did in combat. And a lot of veterans are trained in a very specific job with a very specific focus. And what they know as being the soldier in this battle may not have been true for the 
Marine infantrymen in this other battle, even if they were five miles apart. Makes sense. Um, so, so, right. So some of the things that they know to be true may not be true in the story that's being told. That being said, it is still simpler than somebody who's never been uncomfortable a day in their life, has never not slept on a mattress, thinks uncomfortable will kill them and hasn't left their trailer except to get a latte <laughs> and tell them, no, <laughs> guess what? You're going to go out here and dig yourself a foxhole. Uh, that's a whole different thing. Uh, kids, as you, if you've ever trained recruits, you would know that Kids, whether they're veterans or not veterans, are still empty sponges. They are looking for something to give their lives meaning, something to fill them up. So they're all hungry for this, even if they don't know it. When we train, we'll train all of them, whether they're actors or veterans. Uh, that Part of that training is to give them that what they can pull from when they're doing their performance. From Warriors, Inc., you've also written multiple books. Uh, your latest one out, Through My mm -hmm. Daughter's Eyes, the story of Growing Up in a Military Family, Backbone, History, Traditions, and Leadership Lessons of the Marine Corps NCOs, um, and then also mm -hmm. what you wrote with your husband, Code Word Geronimo, obviously that is about um, the Bin Laden raid, because that was the, the name right. of, of the raid on Bin Laden, but let's start with Through My Daughter's Eyes. Um, you know, sure. my, my wife and I are a military family, I didn't grow up in one, but my kids will grow up in one, and so I'm curious to know what kind of revelations you came about in writing this book. Well, it's... It was a fascinating journey, and part of it is it's the it's the story of a man's deployment before, during, and after through the point of view, the narrator of his middle school daughter. So she's the one telling the story. So you hear her describing what his father went through in combat from her point of view. How did she understand what that is? Um, what was their family like beforehand? When he comes home, you know, how does everything change? So it was. It's an interesting point of view. I don't think it's been done before. It was fun to explore that sort of story arc that we're used to of a person getting deployed, going to combat, and coming home from a different point of view. I think the things that I discovered is that there are so many more of us that have been touched by military deployments in our families than we even realize. Yeah, it, there are. There's two million kids in this country right now who've got a you know active duty parent, and even more when you think of uh, veterans and and wounded warriors and all of the people to whom it's affected. I mentioned before that my father served in World War II. Well, I was not alive for his deployments. Right. But we, going through this process, I realized that w without my understanding of what his time in World War II meant to him and how it changed him, there is no way I was ever going to understand him as a, as a father and how it affected my childhood, how it affected his relationship with my mother and so on. These, these stories change more of us than we like to admit. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly lucid point. And, you know, both of my deployments, I was single for them. I'm now married and have children. And mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder if my kids will ever ask me about what it was. Because by the time they're old enough to comprehend it, you know, I, I may be 10 years done with military service. But you do bring up something interesting because yeah. when you talk about the one thing that's out of bounds for me in general, you know, is for people to comment on my military service as it pertains to my family like because the one thing that right. i that i always go back to is 
there were nights when, you know, I'm sitting in Iraq and I'm laying in bed or whatever is going on. And I know my mother is worried out of her mind, even though nothing's going on at this particular right. moment and I'm safe. And But I know what, what my mother must be feeling and thinking and that every time the phone rang, her heart might have sank at the yeah. fact that she might have gotten that phone call that all too many families know. And that to me is like where the line is drawn because that's the personal family experience that I have. That's a sacrifice I put my family through that at one point in time, right. that phone call could come and there's just no indescribable way to handle it. That's right. But it's not possible to separate it completely. Um, and it's, it's in sometimes it can be, it's something that families have to work through. When you're deployed, when you're in those situations that are so intense, there's an intimacy to them that you're sharing with the people you're fighting with. There's a level of emotion. There's a level of trust. And some of those things, it's very difficult for the, the spouse, the child, the family members to understand. And it can, it can foster jealousy. Wait a minute. How can he be so close to those people? And yet I can't have a conversation with him now that he's home because we don't have that much in common anymore. What does it feel like for a child when your father or mother says, I have to go defend another family? I have to go protect somebody else's children. Well, what makes those children more important than me? You know, we're we're very we're all self-centered in our own worlds. How do you have a child that realizes that? But on the, on the other side, it's so fabulous to have a family that's devoted to service, and how that is modeled for children is a is a wonderful gift to give them. So keeping it from them might be doing them a disservice. And every child's different. Every family's different. But there's good things to be gained for them, the child coming to understand what that's about. Have you found in your experience that military families are different per the generation of war? Like, were, were Vietnam kids whose parents were in Vietnam, were they reacting differently than, you know, kids of this war? Or is that all just kind of standard across the board? I think both are true. There, there are consistencies across the board. Um, whenever you have families and you have people who are leaving to fight. Uh, there are differences, however, in different times because of what they're exposed to in popular culture, what they're seeing. Uh, Vietnam was a big change where you started seeing bodies in real time, when you started seeing it on the news every night. That, that definitely puts it in front of a kid's face and a, and a parent's face, like you were talking about your mom in a very different way than had been done before. Um, how popular culture represents those things has a very big impact. Um, so if it's a popular war, an unpopular war, uh, and we've had all different kinds of points of view about all of our wars, World War I was very unpopular. And the other thing that makes a difference is if there's a draft. Yeah. Well, you know, is somebody making the choice to go or are they being dragged kicking and screaming? And uh, what, how does that change the dynamic? What stands out to you the most about the the war that we're currently in, the ones that we've been fighting and have continued to fight, um, as far as when you look at the way kids understand war now and families understand war now than previous years? I think there is a greater understanding about a respect for people who choose to live a life of service and are willing to make sacrifices for the sake of the nation and for the sake of their their families and the greater community. 
On the other hand, I think there is a lack of understanding of history, of dynamics, of, of why we're there. And it's, that's not, there's not a simple answer as to why we're there, um, but there is history to it. And that's where I think it's most lacking of just understanding what is this thing anyway? I mean, would we really, would politicians really keep us in war for such a period of time, cost this many American lives, spend this huge amount of money if it didn't matter? If it does matter, why does it matter? And I don't think uh, politicians or the media or anyone has done a very good job of explaining that. That's an excellent point. I mean, really, it, it, we, we continue to ask the question why, and it almost seems like we'll never be satisfied with the answer. And because of that, we just everything just sort of lingers. Um, I don't know that we right, right. And it gets back to what I was saying about about storytelling and about movies. That if you don't understand what's happening, you're not going to be invested in the characters and the outcome. The same thing is true here. When you're presenting the case, when or you're trying to teach what's happening, that still has to be there. Some of it, I think, is because of that separation of that military caste. The wars that we've had, where civilians have had to make sacrifices, where we've had meatless, sweetless days, where we've had to have rubber rationing, when people would go to the Red Cross and roll bandages or save peach pits for gas masks, was part of everyone's life. And you got together and talked to each other and learned about what was happening and what did you hear from the last letter you got. And, and there was an involvement, which means an investment. We don't do anything anymore. We're creatures I of comfort. I, I, I use as much gas as I did before the war. I eat the same food. There's no sacrifices that I'm making. No, it's, it's a fair so, point. Right? So I think it's, we're better as a culture when there is some sacrifice because then we're invested in it. And it, should, it shouldn't be false. And it's just that, uh, and it, you know, we're, we're so far away. I lived for a while in Europe, and I remember when I was rather young, people asking me, you know, why do you export all your wars here? And of course I had to tell them, well, why do you keep starting them? <laughs> Stop inviting Germany over for dinner. <laughs> um, but it's true that it's a different experience of war here. Um, Pearl Harbor was definitely a galvanizing thing, but, the, but Hawaii wasn't a state yet. Um, we don't have that many attacks on our soil. And one thing about our current wars is it was, in fact, begun with an attack on American soil, which is quite unusual. When you were in combat, you, weren't, you were worried about your mother, but you weren't worried that she was going to die from a bomb right. or be sent to a re-education camp. No, that makes sense. Right? And, 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 you know, clearly um, when you talk about the, the members of society, they have to feel the war itself. And, and people in America don't feel the war. They just see it. And they live it through a third-person point of view. And, and it's, it's, they don't ever get a chance to, to have it touch them unless it's their family member. And then the game changes for them completely. Right. So it's a, it's a very interesting Right, and, then, and it's also isolating because then when your family's changed but not the families around you, right, are you still part of that community or are you different somehow? Yeah. That can be isolating. Obviously, you have an extreme grasp of military history, and I mentioned you have a PhD, and military history is part of it, as is anthropology. It, it, it's, a, it's a grand word that they've combined together. I'll let you tell us what it is, but it, it's interesting because, <laughs> um, the, you know, clearly without the understanding, you can't do your job, correct? Correct. 
Yeah, I believe so. And I think my particular field of study is a thing called hoplology. It's from the Greek word hoplite, which means foot soldier. Um, and it's, it's, it's a combination of anthropology and military history. So it's looking at the military, but looking at it in not so much as memorizing dates and numbers on the field. It's looking at it as how it affects culture. What happens to a culture when it chooses to go to war? How, how does one affect the other? Uh, we have a tendency in academia to study military history as a very isolated thing that's separate from all the rest of history. And this brings it together because if you look only at military history without understanding diplomacy and politics and everything else that's happening that's affecting that war, you're missing a big part. And also the fact that a culture that chooses not to go to war also affects that culture. That's also a decision that can have huge impacts. Yeah, and I think our our understanding of military history, again, most of it is part of the civil-military divide. Uh, You know, all of us who are military folks, uh, by nature, we have to have an academic understanding of war, and we have to have an academic understanding of of the history Uh because, well, frankly, it's how we train. We train based off of the mistakes we made in the past, so we're forced to learn it. But other people only learn it, again, through, Mm -hmm. I guess, a kind of two-dimensional view, and because of that... Um, right. They they can't grasp grasp the same things that we do. Right. Uh, so, how do we get that education out there? And the beautiful thing about war, and uh, and I don't, I'm not lauding it. It's a terrible thing, um, but it will show you what a culture truly believes. Because you can say what you believe is a culture all you want, but until that crucible comes along. That's when you find out for real, because actions speak louder than, than words do. So it is a way of, of distilling information about a culture down to its most basic. Uh, for example, we learned lots about Nazi Germany uh, that was different <laughs> than how right. they, they were advertising themselves, right? Sure. Uh, so for both good and bad, uh, you, you get to find out what it is that's important. One of my favorite things is, you know, this, this debate about women in combat and on the, on the front lines and the infantry. And there's all these arguments about it. But by the same token, if I'm watching a National Football League game, I don't see any women. True. So are we more, cons- right? So the reason is that they're not, their presence would not make it easier for that team to win the game. Because that's what they want to do is win the game. So it's more important for us as a nation right now to win football games <laughs> and be not so uh, worried about the rights of women who want to play football than we are about winning wars. I guess that may not be the exact truth, but uh, it's interesting to look at and go, where, where are we saying this is important? I would even do you one better as far as understanding the culture. I mean, just look at the way America was galvanized together after 9-11 and, you know, the subsequent invasion of Iraq and everybody yep. was all on board and it was the most patriotic thing in the world. And you look at the country sure. of Iraq after the invasion, you had factions, you had splits, you had divide. You know, there were half the people with the United States, a third of the people against them, another, you know, 25%, you forget my math, mm-hmm. but you get the point. They were just all over the place. And, and that speaks to the culture right. that they were living in prior to the invasion. 
Correct. And so Absolutely. when you see that, I think the point is fantastically made that, you know, war tests a society as much as it does its soldiers. Correct. And in some ways more, because the soldiers have been trained and have thought about these things and have been brought in understanding their mission and understanding what's happening. Well, the civilians, the society does not. So to some extent, it, it changes that more because they're, they're unaware. They're not uh, paying attention to what's happening there. But it, it definitely uh, brings out those things. What is it that you truly stand for? And are you even a nation? A culture is not a nation. Nah, it makes it makes perfect sense, and, and it's very well put. So, Julia, tell us where everybody can get the book and, and your previous books as well if they want to. Sure. Well, the easiest way is to go to Amazon. Both books are all the three books, but uh, Backbone and Through My Daughter's Eyes are certainly available in uh, print and ebook form. If you want more information, you can also go to warriorspublishing.com where you'll see uh, these books, some of Dale's books, and a bunch of other really terrific military fiction and nonfiction. So I encourage you to go check it out. We also have a Facebook page, of course, as everyone yeah. does these days. Um, and what's the latest project you're working on now? Well, uh, Dale's got his movie that keeps pushing forward, No Better Place to Die, um, which he must have mentioned on his Absolutely. time yep. with you. Yeah. So that, that's progressing. Um, we have a number of films in the works that I, I can't talk too much about. Um, I am personally working on a documentary about Vietnam veterans that I'm hoping will continue to progress, you know, and we just continue to look for every media where we can have some influence. So if it's a video game, if it's a graphic novel, if it's a radio show, if it's a podcast, wherever we can try to get this message to more people, we will do it. Well, we certainly appreciate you doing that. And, uh, you know, the message here on the hazard ground is, is similar in the sense that we just want to tell those stories, too. But we want to tell them from a first person point of view. We want, you know, the people who are involved in it to speak candidly about their experience and, and what it meant to them and how they survived it. And um, we've been fortunate enough to, to have some great guests like your husband and yourself and, and some other really fantastic people tell those stories. So from that vein, I think you and I are, are in the same boat as far as uh, wanting to accomplish the same thing. That's right. And so it's great that we're able to do it together. And anything that you guys ever need from us, you know, please don't hesitate to ask. Dr. Julia Dye, thank you so much for being part of the Hazard Ground. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.